everybody, and welcome to the Makers of Minnesota podcast. I'm Stephanie Hansen, and I'm very excited today. I wish you guys could see my screen. I am with very sweet, fresh-faced folks with Valerie and Jared, and they are from Grass-Fed Cattle Company, and their last name is Lumen, and they are uh, doing grass-fed beef, which we've talked a little bit with other producers on the program, and I'm a huge fan of grass-fed beef, and I think it's changed a lot in its perceptions over the years. So I'm really anxious to talk to you guys. You are known for growing red Angus cattle. I have nothing, I know nothing about like cows. <laughs> Why are red Angus cattle better for grass-fed beef production? Yeah. So that's a good question. There's like dozens, if not, you know, even maybe a hundred different livestock breeds, cattle breeds out there. So, you know, that's, that's a good question of why and how we came to the red Angus breed. Red Angus specifically, my grandpa actually switched to like 30, 40 years ago before we ever started down the grass finishing route. And I've always said, as far as like production of, of beef and grass finished beef, it's more about the breeding program than it is the actual breed. And so we've selected over decades for a type of animal that does well and, and thrives on a pasture-based farm, which is really what we've been a pasture-based farm actually ever since, gosh, it was early 1990s when my dad went and, and worked on a New Zealand grazing dairy uh, for eight months and brought that back here and kind of switched our farm from more conventional mindset to a more pasture-based. So we've been building the right kind of animal for our system so they are red Angus and we love the cows. We think they're beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I really appreciate them, but they, uh, there's been some intentionality to making them fit this environment. Sure. A couple things. Number one, it sounds like you're third generation. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's a good question too, because I've asked my dad what generation we are and my grandpa, my dad, none of them know. They said we've been farming since we got off the boat that brought us here. So many, many so, generations. Yeah. Could be more even. Excellent. Yes. But yeah. on this then, farm. On third. this farm. Yeah. Yes. Um, and your farm is in Goodhue. That's right. And you, um, when we talk about grass fed, you've made a, a couple of comments that I just want to clarify. So there's mm -hmm. grass fed and then there's grass finished. And are you guys feeding and pasturing on different types of grasses and grains and then finishing or explain that process to me and why grass fed is different than grass finishing? Yeah, so we actually do grass finish all of our animals. So meaning that they never get any grain at any point in their life. They are only given pasture or hay in the winter, which is essentially just dried, dried grass that we harvest in the summer. Uh, so grass fed just means, yeah, essentially that they are on pasture at some point in their life. Um, it might be finished on grain and then grass finished is like ours, 100% uh, just grass and pasture. And there is a, there was a trend and I don't even know if people still do this anymore, but in the beginning when people were figuring out how to treat grass fed cattle and more precisely, probably how to cook it because it was a leaner beef, people would do the corn fed and then finish them on grass. And that's different because you're still introducing ruminants to corn, which is different mm -hmm. than if you're totally going on a whole pasture raised grass base you guys have uh, made the distinction of going fully grass fed, which I appreciate. Can you tell me, did it ever occur to you to, when you went from the more traditional model to, to today, to start with the corn or did you just make that switch right away? 
Yeah. So that's, that's a good question that, you know, gosh, I could talk for a long time on all these different topics. Please. We, we actually, before my grandpa had gone to New Zealand, this farm was a more conventional feedlot type uh, beef production system. Um, and as we saw the benefits of grass, uh, a big part of it was, you know, partially for the, at the time, the, the initial transition was the financial benefit as a farm. We were a relatively, you know, smaller farm than a lot of farms in the area. And to have all of the equipment and infrastructure required to feed out grain was kind of a challenging decision. And so just from the purely kind of the financial perspective to reduce overhead and limit kind of the expenses and the, the money we had tied up in assets, we moved to more of a pasture-based system to let the animals do the work for us, let the animals graze the grass, spread their own manure, harvest their own feed, you know, rather than us needing to do all that work for them. And so that's kind of, we started kind of back before, I, I don't even know when started, people started getting information on the nutritional benefits of grass fed and finished beef as well. Um, and then that was kind of just an added benefit as, as we learned about some of those advantages to grass finishing beef, um, you know, higher omega-3s, higher conjugated linoleic acids, or CLAs, and, you know, all those different great nutrients that we can get in our grass finished beef. That was just, you know, cherry on top, but we had initially made a lot of these decisions trying to shape our business model in a, in a system that mimics nature and, and relies on animals and nature to provide what we need rather than on fuel and machinery and overhead and equipment. At any given time, how many cattle are you processing or working through? Yeah. So right now we are calving and in the middle of calving season right now, we're getting like 10 plus calves a day and we, we calve out about 220 cows every year. Um, and so at any given point on the farm, we could have 220 cows plus calves and another 80 to 100 of the previous year's heifers that are being bred and, and, and also being finished for grass. But we don't market, we don't, we're, we're not yet to the point where we're uh, marketing 100% of what we're producing here. We, we also market livestock in other ways as well. But, sure. Yeah. So about 400 or so cows at a time? Yeah, four to 500 total animals. Yep. Mm -hmm. the, of various I, groups. Yeah. The reason I asked that specific question is kind of complicated, but um, so on, I have a radio show about food as well, and it's sure. called The Weekly Dish. And we talk a lot about food trends. And one of the things that has come up recently is Epicurious.com uh, has decided to ban and no longer publish beef recipes because they felt like it was not a sustainable uh, system for feeding the world. And they wanted to lean more into the plant-based diet, which I'm all for plant-based as well. But I really took a, um, and I, I'm not a fence, but I was, I was upset about it. And I got kind of irate about it because I felt like number one, it was very performative because I feel like if you really want to teach people about plant-based foods and you're a recipe site, the way to do that is to teach people like double down on the amount of plant recipes you have, right? I don't feel like you can demonize one thing. And mm -hmm. if you really are into something, then double down on it, do more of that, help people understand it more. But, you know, as we think about cattle and we think about producing beef, you know, there are a lot of sustainable grass-fed and ecologically uh, sound farms like yourself. And I just feel like we can't demonize the whole beef uh, as a protein because there's a lot of farms that aren't doing it the right way, or there's a lot of commodity in beef. 
So I got a lot of flack for it because people just, all they heard was that I'm, you know, not for saving the environment and the planet, which is absolutely not true. And I really believe that we can have lots of different choices and that we can support farms and beef farms that are doing it right, that are putting the nutrients back into the soil, that are treating their cattle well. And I just was so irate that this large company that you know is getting lots of ads from those plant-based advertisers mm-hmm. to just demonize farms uh, for that grow beef just because they felt like um, that was their stance. And it's their company. They get to do what they want. But yeah. anyway, so... When I asked you how many, because I think people think of like beef farms and they think of these big giant manure pits and 5,000 heads of cattle. And that's Mm -hmm. not at all what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I, we're fortunate, we we love what we do. And I want to talk about some of the benefits and kind of almost, if it's okay, address what you just talked about, but we've always felt that we can promote our product and what we're, what we're doing without necessarily kind of demonizing like this company maybe is doing a certain other portion of the industry. So without focusing on maybe what are the other guys and just on the benefits of what we do and the idea that, that us raising cattle in the way that we are is bad for the environment. And I I get that a lot. And and it's actually one of the reasons we're shifting more and more towards pasture-based livestock is because of the environmental benefits. We we love it. I love seeing what we can do with the soil. I mean, uh, with, you know, the conversation about greenhouse gases and, and carbon dioxide in the air. Uh, one of the best ways that we can take carbon dioxide from the air is through photosynthesis and plants. Um, and if we were to take the livestock off the land and just let plants grow, they would grow mature in mid-June, late June, die and smother out future growth from new plants. Whereas by leaving livestock on the land and, and managing them in a rotational and adaptive management system, we can prune that grass and continue it, keep it growing all summer long and keep that plant photosynthesizing and taking carbon dioxide from the air and pumping it into the soil. And so all summer long, our grasslands are sequestering carbon, pulling it from the atmosphere and pumping it into our soil, which is just neat. And it's neat because obviously, you know, I'm no climate scientist, so I'm not going to begin to try and touch why the advantages of that, but we are doing it. But the advantages that we see in our soil, um, they talk about for every 1% organic matter increase in our soil that we can store another 20 to 25,000 gallons of water. And so rather than water running off, we're able to infiltrate and store that water in our soil to make our grasslands even more productive and photosynthesize and sequester even more carbon. We're able to feed biology in the soil, which is making more nutrients available to our plants, which is making more nutrients available to the beef, which we consume and, and you know, making more nutrient dense food for us as consumers. And so I, I get that question a lot and I apologize for kind of getting off on a tangent about that, but it's, it's something that my biggest, probably one of my favorite pieces of the production model that we employ here on our farm with grazing is the environmental benefits that we're doing for our land and just the atmosphere and the environment as a whole. I actually really appreciate that you take the time to address that. You know, there's a lot of complicated science around climate change and how we're going to A, live in this world without destroying it, but B, feed the people that we have. And I think it's going to take a lot of creativity and a lot of different ways of going about that. It's not going to be one necessarily way or the other. And um, I personally love the idea of regenerative soil. I love the idea of putting what you 
putting back into what you take out and cycling through that. And mm -hmm. that's why I'm a big fan of farms like yours. When you talk about grass-fed cattle and grass-fed beef, is there a difference in how you cook it as far as you think to get the optimal flavor out of your product? I think we we have some different blogs on that, both for our grass-fed beef, pastured pork, and pastured chicken. Um, but really just um, nice and slow. We like to, especially for steaks, to steer them on both sides and then turn down the heat and just let them cook for a little bit to get those juices um, good and tasty and, you know, up to temperature. Uh, but besides that, um, there's lots of good hints and everything out there. But uh, if you are interested in how to start, that blog is a good place to go to. Okay, we'll go ahead and we'll link to that in our in our show notes because be I think great. there's this perception that grass-fed beef is drier. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, early on in the grass-finished market, um, you know, it, it it truly is a challenge, more of a challenge to finish beef on grass. It it lacks the energy that grains have, and that's what allows animals to get so fat so fast is that grain and that energy. And so with grazing, it is more difficult. And early on, there was leaner, more and more lean beef because they weren't properly finishing. But we've found, you know, with time, it takes more time, no doubt. It can take longer. And that's one of the main arguments against grass-finished beef is that it takes longer and there's that much more methane emissions and stuff, but they don't take into consideration the sequestering that we're doing as well but um but the uh, uh it takes more time but we can get beef finished on grass and then when when it's a fatty beef and equivalent kind of to a to a grain finished animal you wouldn't need to cook it necessarily much different either it's it's more just a matter of that kind of fat content and the fat you know a lot of people like grass finished beef for its leanness but the fat is where a lot of those nutrients are found in grass finished beef is in the fat and those are good healthy fats we call them and stuff so yum we love fat yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. the ribeye is my favorite cut of mm. beef i yes. just love well, a fatty ribeye yeah. We'll have to get you a few so you yes. can try them out. Yes, for sure. When you guys, uh, I think another perception people have about cattle farming, at least I do, is that you never get a vacation or a break because you're constantly having live animals. If you imagine how you feel with your dog, you know, and it's, you've got 500 of these. <laughs> how does that work? Do you have a season where you don't have anything? Cause you also mentioned that you're pasturing chicken and pork. So you're someone is on that farm all the time feeding your animals. Right. Yeah. We do have to have somebody here every day. And uh, we do try to look at every single animal every day to make sure they're healthy, doing well. Um, we're really thankful to be able to farm with Jared's dad um, and stepmom is here sometimes as well. Uh, and uh, it's really nice. John, his dad, um, you know, will watch the farm and everything when we're gone, we'll try to do the same for him so we can both take some time off. But uh, it is busy on the farm, but we love it. And um, we're just so thankful we can raise a family on the farm like we were both raised. Mm -hmm. uh, just because it's it's such an adventure. It, it's such a good, just a great lifestyle to learn how to love nature and care for animals. And and I just think we're, we're really excited to raise our family the same way. So we don't get yeah. a lot of time off, but... We love yeah. what we do and uh, sometimes makes it all worth it. <laughs> yeah, sometimes our work feels like a vacation anyway. Yeah, that's very true. And we've and I kind of talked a little bit earlier too about our shift from more of the you know, the machinery-based agriculture to the letting livestock do the work has made the work quite a bit easier when we're not bringing feed to the cattle daily, but we're just 
rolling up a fence and letting the cattle do the work, letting the cattle eat their feed, letting them harvest their feed, letting them spread their manure. It may, it's made our life quite a bit easier. So we have busy seasons and calving them right now is one of them and chickens in the summer is one of them. But we, we've been able to figure out a good adaptive system where we can work together and, and you know, help, you know, give each other time off when needed. Where do you sell your products? So we sell our meat through our company called Grassfed Cattle Company. And Jared and I purchased it a few years ago. And really the whole point of it is to connect people in the Twin Cities to where their farm, where their meat is actually grown and produced um, and just be able to answer their questions and uh, talk to them about our farm and what we do um, and just some of the benefits of the practices we choose to use. So we have an online store, uh, grassfedcattleco.com, and people can order there. And then during the checkout process, um, can either choose a uh, pickup appointment with us in our Edina location that I go to a few times a week um, to meet customers. Otherwise, we offer delivery in the Twin Cities as well. So that's where people can currently find it. Uh, we do love to have people out to the farm too and can bring all of our storages up in Edina, but we can always bring a box of meat down for somebody who wants to visit the farm too. So yeah, we, we are excited to have some more chicken on our website soon. Uh, like I said, we're just starting to raise those this summer and are really excited about uh, all the beef, chicken, and pork we have coming. What kind of pigs do you have? So we don't actually have the pigs on our farm. Uh, a farmer in Wisconsin raises those for us. Um, they have Idaho pasture pigs. So they are out grazing as well. And they just get about a pound of grain per day per pig, uh, just because they have a little bit different stomach and uh, do need a little bit of grain to be finished out uh, well. Pigs are a whole nother podcast. I mean, honestly, yes. yeah. you could just go on and on and chickens too, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. So as part of creating this company, Grass-Fed Cattle Company, because that's easier to market, obviously, than a farm name or a family name. And then you can also maybe work with other farmers that have the same type of ideals that you do. Um, you mentioned that how you do the pork. How do you get the word out about Grass-Fed Cattle Company? And why did you decide to do direct to consumer versus like going through a store or maybe through a farmer's market? Yeah. So we saw, and I kind of started direct marketing right out of college, just as a way to add another premium to what we're trying to do. I kind of mentioned how our farm, it's a good size farm, but it's smaller than a lot in the conventional model. I was told you need 1000 acres per full-time family to farm full-time. And, and we have less than that. And we were trying to have two families on it. And so uh, we kind of have to sell things at a premium in order to do it. And so we saw direct marketing as a way to do that and, and looking at the different options of uh, direct to consumer or through restaurants and different things. Uh, we kind of were weighing the benefits and the advantages and disadvantages and, and a big disadvantage we saw working with like restaurants or something would be like that a restaurant might want all of your ribeyes and, and how would we market our ground beef and our roasts. And, and so we started looking the, the bulk route of selling quarters, ace, halves, holes as a way to market all of the product at once. And it's special, especially as we started out. And so that's kind of the initial reason we chose it, but also just 
like Val mentioned, uh, an important part of our goal for our farm is to connect consumers directly to their food source. And, and if, even if there's a restaurant in between, you know, right now we get to hand the box to the person purchasing it and explain, you know, show that, talk to them about what we do. And if they want to come out to the farm, show them what we do and have that direct connection. And from a business perspective as well, I like the idea of, you know, diversity of customer bases as well. So we've got you know, as opposed to having two or three restaurants, we've got two or 300 or, you know, whatever, however many customers. And so we have a lot more resilience in that way that if we lose a few customers, it's not a huge percentage of our business. And so there are just a lot of advantages to direct to consumer. And, and there are challenges along with that, too. Uh, uh, but, you know, that's kind of the route we chose. So that was pretty COVID proof, I'm assuming. Yeah, COVID was amazing uh, for grass-fed cattle <laughs> yeah, company. For that, yeah. <laughs> uh, it yeah. was just kind of a wild ride. Uh, now that we're, I don't want to say done with it, but I feel like kind of... The dust is settled. So yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, and it'll be a managed situation. Right, mm-hmm. right. But right away, about a year ago, we had such an increase in demand, and it was awesome to have so many new customers and um, have them learning about our farm. But it was hard to keep up with the the supply side of things. Um, just with our farm being smaller, it was difficult to you know keep up with having enough beef in stock and getting the butcher dates that we needed, um, all of those things. But uh, it was it was great to get some new customers and new faces. And like Jared said, it's just so fun that we get to hand our box of meat to our customers and tell them thank you for supporting our farm from the bottom of our hearts really just see the joy that it brings them to have great quality meat that they're confident in for their family to eat the other day at a pickup a family was there and these little girls said our farmers (laughs) it was just so cute uh hearing them you know refer to us as their farmers um that they know you know when they see our faces so it's it's a lot of fun for us and Mm -hmm. uh worth the challenges that's for sure yeah yeah well that's excellent you guys were had a lot of foresight in the way that you market to be able to weather something like this pandemic i'm really just impressed with you i'm sorry that i couldn't come down to the farm today i'm hoping (laughs) to get down there sometime this summer you're always welcome yeah thank you thank you and i appreciate your being on the program if people want to order beef from you grassfedcattleco.com in order to order and do you when you order from you guys do you have to order like halves quarters or can you just order like two roasts and five pounds of ground beef and kind of make your own pick and pack we try to make it as convenient as we can so you can order if you want to start with bulk um you're going to get your the best bang for your buck that way um but if you have a smaller freezer or you just want to give it a try we do try to have small boxes of ground beef, some roasts, some steaks available for people. Uh, those do tend to go fast when we sell them by the cut. So um, if we don't have any in stock at that time, stay tuned and they should be back in stock at some point. Um, and you can always reach out with questions too. But we also have some subscription boxes such as our meat club where people can get 11 pounds of meat per month either delivered to their home or they can pick it up every month. So that's one of our most popular boxes too, for people that might not have the storage space. I love it. All right. Well, thanks for being on the program and spending time with me today and good luck on the cat, the calving. I hope you get <laughs> 10 you. more. Yes. Yes. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks, thanks for guys. having us, Stephanie. Yeah. Bye. Bye.